Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew 24, starting at verse 23. Jesus, teaching his disciples about his second coming, said, At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the desert, do not go out. Or, here he is, in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever there is a carcass, There the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. And our second reading can be found on page 1189. It's from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at the first verse. That's page 1189, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, starting at the first verse. Paul, Silas, and Timothy. To the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith, in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. We thank you for this wonderful truth that we've been singing of, that you will never forsake your people. And we thank you uh, that we began singing of the great foundation uh, that is ours, laid out in your excellent word. And we pray indeed that as we look at your word now, we might not only know that foundation, but know how to build on it and live lives which are truly pleasing to you for the rest of our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Please do sit down. Well, it is very good to see you, and uh, may I add my own welcome to that of uh, Chris's earlier in our meeting. Um, uh, Two things you might like to do as we uh, look at the Bible. One is to turn it open, um, and we're going to be looking at 2 Thessalonians this week and for the next five weeks. The page number is 1189. Uh, the second of the two readings that Dan read for us uh, just earlier. The other thing that I think you might find helpful is to dig out the, um, the sermon outline um, that is uh, given in the bundle that you were given, and uh, we'll be referring to that as we go along. The return of Jesus Christ to wrap up history as we know it is one of the great Christian doctrines to encourage us to keep going whether it be 
you know, the confusion and frustration of Brexit negotiations or the, the deep sadness of 157 people killed in an air crash or the devastation and appalling loss of life in a terrorist attack in Christchurch, New Zealand or the personal struggles of life that you come with today or the rejection and trials we face just because we're Christian. Whatever it is that we're facing, it is brilliant to know that Jesus is going to return one day and put all wrongs right and usher in his new kingdom and his perfect rule in a glorious new creation where there will be no more sadness and no more suffering and no more death. Now the second letter to the Thessalonians that we're beginning to look at today and for the next five weeks is all about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ and very specifically about getting our understanding about Christ's return right. You see, when it comes to the return of Christ, there are two extremes, two polar responses. And as with, I was going to say most arguments, I guess almost all arguments, when arguments are polarised, then problems arise. Now here are the two polar extremes. The first extreme is an overemphasis on the prospect of an imminent return of Christ, the belief that Christ will definitely return very soon. The other extreme is to not think about the return of Christ at all, uh, to even reach the point where we don't think Jesus will ever come. He's not come back for 2,000 years. He's not going to come back now, is he? Now, when we go to either extreme, it will adversely affect the way we live. We'll be thinking about this over these next five weeks. My guess is that it's the latter that is our greatest danger. The return of Christ probably doesn't fill our minds nearly half as much as it should. I imagine that most of us barely think about it as being a realistic possibility. For the Thessalonians, they had the opposite problem, believing in the imminent return of Christ with, as it were, too much certainty. It's going to happen. And that had a detrimental impact on the way that they live life. I um, had lunch with a friend a couple of weeks back, um, and he told me of, uh, he, he used to, he's a vicar now, but he used to be a teacher, and he told me of a teenager who would tell his teachers that there was no point in doing his homework because Jesus was going to return soon. And uh, he worked in a school with a Christian foundation, so that was quite difficult to rebuff, wasn't it? Now, hearing that story reminded me that when I was at theological college and uh, the exams were approaching, I wasn't the only one who would say we'd be quite pleased if Jesus returned, at least um, if not before exam week, week, by the time the results were out anyway. And while that was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I do remember thinking really seriously that if Jesus did return, this is when I was at theological college, if Jesus did return before the end of my three years at theological college, I'd feel really frustrated that I'd spent all these years trying to learn to be a vicar when it would have been much better just to have gone out and spent those three years telling everybody and anybody about the Lord Jesus. Now, do you see the point? If we believe Jesus' return is certainly imminent, what is the point of preparing for exams that are months away? What's the point of training to be qualified to do a job in the future? What's the point of any long-term planning at all? What's the point of financial planning and investing in a pension scheme? You know, we go on and on. Now, that is the issue in the second letter to the Thessalonians, not pension planning, but an unhelpful and unbiblical understanding of Jesus' return. The Thessalonians had actually received a report that Jesus had already come back. Look with me at chapter 2 and verse 1. 
Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in that way. You see what's going on. Someone, somewhere, had persuaded at least some of the Christians in Thessalonica to believe that Jesus' return was not only imminent, but that it had already happened. And these charlatans had pulled the wool over the Thessalonians' eyes to the extent that they actually believed that the report had come from the Apostle Paul, which gave the report all the authority of the Scriptures themselves. Now, as you hear that, as you and I hear that, we may well be wondering how anybody could be so foolish as to be taken in like that. But you only have to go back to the beginning of the 20th century to know that this kind of thing hoodwinked the entire Jehovah Witnesses organisation. The Jehovah Witnesses' Watchtower publication prophesied that Jesus would return in 1914 when Jesus didn't visibly return in that year, in 1914. They said, oh, 1914 was the year that uh, his rule in heaven began. And they began to then say, now we're in the last days. And then they predicted the return of Christ to be five years later, I think, in 1919. Now, it was different in Thessalonica, but it would have been that kind of teaching that it invaded the church. And chapter 2, verse 2, the report of Jesus' return had Paul's name on it, and it was fake news. Not that anybody used that phrase back then, but um, Paul wanted to know that it was fake news, not only because it was wrong, but because it was having a detrimental impact on the lives of at least some of them, some of the Christians in Thessalonica. So in chapter 1, and we'll look at this in more detail next week, in chapter 1, Paul spells out clearly that when Jesus does return, there will be no question about it. Look at chapter 1, verse 7. Paul writes of Jesus being revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. When Jesus returns, he's not going to slip in unannounced. And we heard it very clearly in the first of our two readings earlier in the service that Dan read. Uh, Jesus' own words are incontrovertible. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaks of cosmic chaos, of the sun being darkened and the stars falling from the sky, of the Son of Man, Jesus himself, appearing in the sky, and of all nations, people from all over the globe, seeing Jesus coming in great power and glory. We don't need a report to tell us that Jesus returned. When it happens, we will all know it. Here, incidentally, is why it's so important to be well taught and uh, to know our Bible well. The Thessalonians had been fooled by the false teaching that had come their way and it had rocked them. And it left some Christians in Thessalonica thinking the way that schoolboy that I mentioned thought. What's the point of doing my homework and studying for my exams as Jesus has returned? There's logic in it, isn't there? If the end of the world is nigh, what's the point of going to work? If everything's about to come to an end, we can surely think of better things to do than um, go to the office or do our biology homework. And actually, if we can't think of better things to do, then we need to go out and get a life, don't we? And so in chapter 3, Paul has to warn the Christians in Thessalonica about those who've now downed tools, those who refuse to work. Have a look with me at uh, chapter 3 and verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers, to keep away from every brother who is idle and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We weren't idle when we were with you. 
nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we did not have the right to such help, but in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. See what was going on? Some people weren't bothering to work anymore. Jesus has returned. What's the point of me working? The end of the world is nigh. Now, look, I guess that kind of thinking is very alien to us. Most of us, I guess, have never thought of chucking in our jobs because we think Jesus is certain to return tomorrow, next week, or the week after. We may well have thought about chucking in our jobs for other reasons, but not because Jesus is about to return. So as we look through 2 Thessalonians in these next weeks, we're going to be dealing with issues that won't perfectly match ours, but this letter will help us to have a clear understanding of Jesus' return and help us to think about how we should live in the light of it. Well, this morning, as we look at the opening two, uh, four verses of the letter, we see very clearly three big ways we should live in the light of Christ's return. And they come in verses three and four, faith, love, and perseverance. And um, as we look at these, these three, the headline, here's the headline. I've kind of put it on the, on the outline. The right way to live in the light of Jesus' return is then these things, to be growing in faith, increasing in love, and persevering in trials. Look with me at verse three. This is chapter one, verse three. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. See, despite the false teaching that had invaded the church, and despite the fact that some had responded to that false teaching with kind of this lazy living, still wonderfully, Paul was able to thank God for the majority of the church family who were living as they should First, in growing faith. Growing faith. Again, verse three, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. You might have seen when I read verse four that um, the Thessalonians were being persecuted for being Christians. And yet, and this is wonderful, their faith was growing. They were learning to trust God more and more. And I deliberately use that word trust there because while faith is a terrific Bible word, it is so often misunderstood today. Now these days, faith is, the way it's used is to describe a pretty nebulous, vague, sort of fuzzy thing. But in the Bible, faith is a strong thing. And at its heart, it is to trust God. Now many of the Christians in Thessalonica were growing in their faith, in their trust in God. Now look, that that tells us that that faith or trust is a dynamic thing, not a static thing. We can have more or less of it. You see, they were growing more and more in it. Jesus said of some, O you of little faith. He said of another fellow, I have not found such great faith in all Israel. We can have more or less faith. And so, as Christians, we should want to be growing in faith. The Thessalonians were. Now we were um, thinking last week about our vision, a vision for this church, vision for all that we could do. One strand of our threefold vision is to grow forward church. And that doesn't just mean growing numerically, it does mean that, but it's more than that. It means all sorts of things, growing spiritually, not least of all, growing like this, in faith. Growing in our trust in God is something we should aim for, something we should strive for, both individually and collectively. Collectively. 
We should want to have greater faith this year than we had last year. What does that mean? Trusting in God more this year than I seem to be able to do last year. The word there in verse three, growing, growing in faith, describes the kind of growth that we might see in a plant or a tree. Um, uh, I'm not very good at it, but some of you will know I I quite like um, growing plants. And uh, now is the time of the year when you kind of uh, sow your seeds, at least for those plants that uh, you can put indoors. And I've done that. And uh, just a few weeks ago I did that. And I've already seen some little seedlings emerging. I'm very excited to see them. I know I said earlier you need to get out and get a life. So do I, clearly. But anyway, very excited about these little two-inch seedlings. But you don't need me to tell you that I would be very disappointed if uh, in two months' time they're still two-inch seedlings, not growing. Now, look, what is true of plants is equally true, more importantly true, of relationships. They are meant to be dynamic, changing, growing. It's one of the fun things about being married. 27 years on, my relationship with Caroline has grown. And not least of all, when it comes to the way that I trust her. Did I trust Caroline when I married her? Yes, 100%. I, would have married her if, I wouldn't have married her if I didn't trust her. But I do trust her more today. You say, more than 100%? Well, yeah, I do. And, you, know, you can't have more than 100%. But why do I trust her more now? Because we've done life together. She's never let me down. She's always reliable. Now look, if that is true of another human being, how much more is it true of the Lord? I've been a Christian 37 years now and the Lord has never let me down. He's promised never to leave me nor forsake me and that promise has never been broken. And while that promise was always true, it was true when I became a Christian 37 years ago, but because I have done life with him now, I know I can trust him more and more. I've experienced him carry me through again and again. You see, faith, trust in God should be growing all the time. As an aside, I reckon one of the biggest reasons our faith doesn't grow is because we, we don't put ourselves in situations where we have to trust God. We are largely, I think, risk-averse. We live safe lives. We're able to provide for ourselves, able to have everything we need. We rarely find ourselves or we rarely put ourselves in situations where we're utterly reliant on the Lord. So we don't have to trust him, not in really significant ways. And so our faith doesn't really grow. The Thessalonians, on the other hand, were facing persecutions and trials. We see that in verse 4. So you can imagine them getting up in the morning, reading their Bibles and praying earnestly about the day ahead, pleading with the Lord in their quiet time to protect them and help them through that very day. And what joy they'd have had when they climbed into bed in the evening, seeing how the Lord had indeed kept them and equipped them. That's how faith grows, isn't it? I asked him to help me, he helped me. He helped me last year, he helped me through those times, he's going to help me today. I know I can trust him. Growing faith. Second, increasing love. Again, verse three. Not only does Paul thank God for their uh, faith growing, but you see it there halfway through verse three. And he thanks them for the love that every one of them has for each other and that that love is increasing. They loved each other more and more. Again, as I think of our vision for this church, 
This is one of my highest aspirations for us. I guess we'll be known for all sorts of things as a church, but wouldn't it be wonderful, wouldn't it be lovely if people said, that's a loving church. And for our love to increase more and more. Actually, like Paul, as I've been reading this, I, I do find myself thanking God for the way that this church does love one another. It's a wonderful thing. Just in the last few weeks, people have told me of the way they've been loved and cared for through bereavement, through difficult family experiences, through illness, through the birth of a new baby. It's beautiful to see it going on and to hear of it. And here's the thing, as our love increases, we will grow. The word Paul uses for increasing love here in verse three is of a a diffusive, expansive growth, like irrigation of a land. Now just get that picture in your mind if you it's a great picture. A love like water flowing out and sort of irrigating the land, overflowing and giving life and bringing growth. Love kind of seeping into our lives, filling us up and then of course in, in turn flowing out of us. Love's like that. When a church family loves freely, it loves more. When you've been loved, you want to love back. Kind of melts your heart. Growing faith, increasing love. And third, they were persevering through trials, verse four. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. The Thessalonians were a, a, a persecuted, the Christians in Thess- Thessalonica were a persecuted minority. The church was, was born into persecution. We saw that when we studied 1 Thessalonians last year. But um, wonderfully, the Thessalonian Christians didn't buckle under the pressure of persecution. They kept following Jesus. And not least of all, because they knew that in Christ they had a fantastic future to look forward to. That might well be why they focused so much on the return of Christ and why we don't so much. Being being under pressure in this life does bring a, a longing for a better world. When you're being persecuted, you do kind of long for Jesus to return, don't you? Well, that certainly was happening for them. And it's a wonderful thing when you see that happening, people persevering through persecution and through trials. I, um, I received a, a most inspiring letter from members of the church family uh, just uh, this week who are involved in Gideon's International. Gideon's is an organisation that distributes Bibles all over the world. And uh, Bill and Grace Thomas, uh, who are members of this church family, have been for many years, have just been to India and Sri Lanka. And they met Christians who are desperate to have Bibles, and they were able to give many, many Bibles, thousands of Bibles to these Christians. And Bill wrote about this trip, and uh, here's one excerpt from his, um, uh, from his letter, letter to me um, a, a, about one part of his trip. When we arrived, there were so many people in this little house, formerly full of Hindu gods, but now full of Christian love, that we had to go up on the roof for our meeting. I don't think I'd ever spoken on a rooftop meeting before. Afterwards, several again shared their testimony of how Jesus had saved them, a very humbling and moving occasion, as they were, f- they were all facing persecution as a, result of, as a result of their conversion, losing their jobs, being thrown out of homes, often attacked, and when ill having to sign that they're Christians and pay for any treatment that Hindus would get free. This growing church, now known as the Agape Church, now needs a building in which to meet as they're growing so fast. 
you know someone's faith is genuine when they keep going through persecutions and trials. They're not going to do it if they're not real Christians, are they? That's the Thessalonians. Not just grinning and bearing it, because yes, you don't have to have faith in Christ to be able to keep going through hard times. But you see, verse 4, persevering with faith. Persevering because of their faith in Christ. Indeed, trusting God through their trials. That's why they kept going. Now that is how to live in the light of Jesus' return. Growing faith, increasing love, persevering through trials. If you go to either polar extreme, these things might well be put on the back burner. But when you've got it right, those are three things you keep um, putting your emphasis on. And of course, I, I know I can live like that when I know that Jesus is going to return one day. Those are the things that really matter. When Jesus returns, I want him to see me having grown in faith and increasing in love and keep going, don't I? Well, we're going to uh, learn more next week about how these things were a great mark that these were real Christians and so they had great confidence in um, Jesus' return. But for now, three things to draw uh, as we draw to a close, three things to take away and uh, over the page on the handout, just three very brief things. Firstly, see that, that all of this is from God. Their, their growing faith, their increasing love, and their perseverance through trials was all from God. You can see that in verse 3. See, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because of these things. It, it, all this came from God. That's why he thanks God for these things. Now, I hope as we've been looking at uh, these things, certainly it has been for me this last week, I hope it is for you as well, that the Thessalonian Christians are an encouragement that uh, you, like me, are motivated to want to live like this, having read of them. But I am aware that some of you might be thinking, oh, I couldn't live like that. I can't be that great. Now, of course, the response at one level is, no, you can't. Not in your own strength, but that's the point. Verse 3, Paul thanks God for the Thessalonians. He thanks God that their faith is growing and their love increasing. It comes from God. Isn't that great to know? He wants you, God wants you and me to grow in faith and increase in love and persevere through trials. And so as we seek to live that way, he will help us. So uh, first thing, this is from God. Secondly, this is how to pray. Uh, See, verse three is a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, In the next five weeks, I've been really struck by this as I've been sort of studying it for the last couple of months. In the next five weeks, we'll see this letter is full of prayers, full of Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. And as we go through the letter, I intend to stop each week and help us to see how we should pray the way Paul prays. And here in verse 3, at the most basic level, we see that Paul was a person of thankfulness in prayer. That's a, a crucial element of our daily prayer time, being thankful. But equally note what Paul was thankful for. This is very important. He was thankful for Christians growing in faith, increasing in love, and enduring through trials. And um, here's the thing that I think uh, we need to be challenged on. We're thankful for the things that really matter to us. Have you noticed that? So it's good and right to thank God for good health and for families and for the Lord's provision for food and clothes and a job. I thank God for those things every day. It's one of the first things I do when I have my daily prayer time. But above those things, we should be thankful for growing faith, increasing love and perseverance through trials. 
See, some of you can't give thanks to God for your health. I mean, you can to a certain extent, but your health is failing. What happens when it's, when it's almost gone? What are you gonna give thanks to God for then? Nothing to thank God for? No, you can keep thanking him. Growing faith, increasing love, persevering through trials. Those are the things to celebrate as a church family and in our prayer times together. Indeed, let me encourage you, when you meet this week in your small groups, when you pray together, will you thank God where you are seeing in your brothers and sisters around you growing faith, increasing love and endurance through trials? So this is from God. This is how to pray and lastly and briefly, this is a great encouragement to others. See, look at verse four again. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the trials you're enduring. You see, because living like this comes from God, verse three, we should boast about these things to one another. Now, that doesn't become then our boasting about ourselves. It becomes giving glory to God, doesn't it? We should tell each other and indeed tell other Christians where we see this kind of thing happening. That will be a great encouragement to other churches. When we see it in other churches, we should say, I've just seen this from the church in Kilnhurst or Kendry or wherever it is. Because when faith grows and love increases and people persevere through trials, it is a mark that God is at work. You see, these are a great mark that God is at work, and we'll see this again next week. Because left to ourselves, our sinful nature will always be inwardly focused. Have you noticed that about yourself? You're always tempted to turn in on yourself. So when I put my faith in something outside of myself, when I trust in God, that clearly is from him. When I love people beyond myself, that must be from him because that isn't natural to me. And when I stand for him in the midst of persecution, when it would be easier to withdraw and live a life of self-preservation, it must be from him. So these things are to be celebrated. And this is the way to live in the light of Jesus' return one day. We don't know when that day will be. It could be today. It could be in a thousand years. But knowing he's coming back We should seek these things, growth in faith, increase in love, and perseverance through trials. Let me pray now that we do just that. Our Father, we thank you very much indeed for the Thessalonians living this way, and we thank you that we can see much of this in this church family. Thank you very much for faith growing, for love increasing, and for many people enduring through uh, really difficult times. We pray that it would happen more and more through us and in us. We pray that this time next year we might be able to say we have grown in our faith, in our trust in you, that we are more loving, and that we've kept going through trials. And we pray that all of that would bring glory to your name and indeed that it would be a great mark that we are waiting rightly for the return of the Lord Jesus in whose name we pray, amen.